Welcome to Mosaic. My name's Shannon, uh, one of the pastors here. Um, couple of things, just have in mind, want to wanna kind of add to some of what Nancy already shared. One, I just want to kind of remind us and encourage us. Um, one of the things that we talk about a lot is that for people who are outside the church, you know, who feel like spiritual outsiders, who haven't, you know, stepped their foot in the door, we talk about one of the, the main thing that they need is to see the love of God, both in the gospel and in our lives. And I just want to encourage you that that's been going on a lot lately. And one of the places where, where I feel like we're seeing it the most is with the kids' ministry. We have new kids coming in every week. There's like three or four new kids today. Um, and it's just an incredible joy. And I want you to understand that the reason that they keep on coming back is not because of anything incredibly dynamic. I mean, our kids' our kids' ministry is great. The teachers are great. All of those things. But there's, there's no smoke. There's no lights. There's minimal candy. Um, they, they just keep on coming back because they're loved well. And then what I'm seeing again and again as I'm like dialoguing with these kids throughout the, throughout the week is that a bunch of these kids, we, we keep on getting more kids because they keep on inviting their friends. And like I'm in the school and they're like coming up to me in the hallway, hey, can so-and-so come to church this week? Can so-and-so? Or a kid's coming up to me, hey, can I come to church this week? Why? Again, there's, there's so many more entertaining things that they can do with their week, and yet they come here and they're loved well. So one, I just want to say thank you to all of you for doing that, because it's just a beautiful thing. Um, I want to thank you for being a part of that. If you're not a part of it yet, or you want to figure out how we can, we can make room for you with kids ministry and all that stuff for sure. But the other thing that I, I just want to highlight for you that I see in the lives of these kids is just how easy it is to invite the people that you love into church. Um, you know, whether it's neighbors or strangers, classmates, coworkers, whatever, it's just easy. And some people are disinterested. Some people are very interested, whatever, but we invite them in and we invite them into this community where they're loved well and they're loved towards Jesus. And man, I just, I want us to take advantage of that. Want to see more of that among all of us. Second thing, um, this one's a, a little bit of an odd one, but we're family, so here's what it is. Um, a week from today, um, next Sunday from 2 to 5, uh, we're going to do like a graduation open house for Luke. And like the church is like not about our family, so I'm not like, oh, uh, we're doing something, you should be there, whatever. But you guys are our family. So I don't want you to bring gifts, you don't need to bring cards, whatever. I just want to celebrate that you guys are a part of the Mosaic family, you're a part of the Nielsen family, we love you. Um, we didn't do some man, bad scramble of getting all the addresses together so we could send you some piece of paper to say be there. But you guys are welcome. We'd love to see you. So a week from, a week from now, 2 to 5 in the afternoon right here. So that stuff said, uh, look at the clock. The sermon hasn't started. We're going to pray, and then we're going to preach. Uh, God, I just thank you so much to be with family, to be with the people that I love, um, to talk about the God that we love, to sing to you, um, to open up your word, and to be impacted for your glory. And God, I pray that you would be doing exactly that among us today. Lord, give us hearts that are humble. Give us hearts that are teachable in our weakness, in our helplessness. Um, Lord, help us to not be running from those things. Help us to not be trying to prop ourselves up and pretend, but let us be the people who, who acknowledge just how weak we are and delight in the God 
who loves us in spite of us and gives, gives us strength that we can't imagine. Amen. So this morning we're continuing our series in 2 Corinthians. If you've got a Bible, if you've got a Bible app, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to look at the first 10 verses. But we're continuing this series in 2 Corinthians called Humble Authority, where we're looking at this radically countercultural view of authority, that authority is good, that it is a good gift from God, that God is our authority, and he leads us, and he calls us to lead others in ways that are completely different than anything else that we see in this world. Uh, this morning, I want to zero in, and, and I want to I kind of hit a subtopic that we really see in this text. I want to address the question of how do we handle our helplessness? How do we handle our helplessness? And so to do that, I want to start by asking you guys to just think about a time in this last week when you felt helpless. This shouldn't be a very hard exercise. I know some of you aren't morning people and it, like you're, you're still not thinking clearly yet, but this is an easy one. I want you to think about some time in the last week when you felt helpless, when you felt overwhelmed, when you felt weak. Maybe you were overwhelmed by some sort of a family crisis or you know, something at work or something at school. Um, maybe you were overwhelmed by what was going on inside of you. Like, you felt your own moral weakness in the face of all sorts of temptation, you know, to, like, lust or anger or despair or whatever it is. Uh, maybe you're like, hey, life's, life's going pretty good. Life, it was a really easy week. But, you know, there was that one moment in the week where you happened to turn on the news. And you, like, saw what was going on, you know, outside of your neighborhood. You know, and the, the mass shootings and the ongoing wars. And a nation that somehow manages to get even more divided every week. You know, and you look at that and you feel helpless. Or some of you, like, like I, was, I was talking about some of the stuff that we're doing on the east side of Ipsy and inviting so many more kids into this church. And maybe you've been a part of that. And you're like, helpless. You know, because you see just how long this hall is going to be, not just to love some kids in the church, but to see genuine, meaningful life transformation. You know, to see cities and schools and individual families and individual lives really transformed. And, and you just look at the scope of the work that needs to be done and how hard that work is, and what do you feel? You probably feel a little bit helpless. You probably feel weak in the midst of those challenges, overwhelmed, perhaps discouraged. Okay, how do we handle our helplessness? What do we do with our helplessness? You know, do we just kind of roll up in the fetal position, you know, fall on the ground, suck our thumb, try to, you know? Or do we go the opposite way? Do we just get angry, you know, kind of power up? Or, or do, we, do we resolve, no, I'm going to work harder and I'm going to do better and, and, and we got this because I'm not weak, I'm self-reliant. Those are a lot of the traditional cultural answers and yet they're not the answers that we're called to in Scripture. How do we as Christians handle our helplessness? That's, that's what we're wrestling with this morning. And if you've been tracking with this series, um, we're, we're in the spot in the scripture where, where Paul is going to war with his adversaries, with these false apostles, with these big show, no-go, false teachers who are coming into the church and they're, they're trying to weasel their way into a position of authority. And what we see about Paul's opponents is that these are the guys who have no use for helplessness. They have no use for weakness. They have no use for humility. 
They brag and they boast and they put themselves up there and they say, look at us, we are amazing. They are the people who worship at the altar of self-reliance. And, and if they don't have it together as much as they want to have it together, they're going to fake it till they make it and they're going to mark it and they're going to put themselves up there. They have no theology of weakness. But what we see in Paul is the exact opposite. And we see that Paul found God's power as he embraced his weakness. He isn't running from it. He isn't hiding from it. And he's, he's not letting it demoralize him or discourage him. Yeah, he goes through those times. Weakness is hard. Helplessness is hard. But what he finds again and again is that his weakness and his helplessness is driving him deeper into his relationship with God. And in that relationship, he is finding life and he is finding power. So the big idea for this morning, Paul found God's power as he embraced his weakness, as he embraced his helplessness. And we're going to see this theme kind of uh, developed in three sections. We're going to look at Paul's rejection of resumes. We're going to look at God's humbling gift of helplessness. And then God's power and weakness. So the first thing, Paul's rejection of resumes. Again, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're beginning with verse 1. In it, Paul writes, I must go on boasting, although there's nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. So he's talking about going on boasting because this is like a a tirade that he began a couple of chapters ago. He began in chapter 10, kind of intensified in chapter 9 where he's boasting and he's bragging and he's trash talking. Why? Why is Paul doing this? He's been saying throughout this chapter, this is, this is foolishness, this is madness, this is ridiculous. We are not the people who boast and brag. We're the people who, who delight in the finished work of Jesus, not in our own work. And yet he finds himself in this situation where, where he feels forced to boast and to brag and to trash talk. Why? Because Paul is writing to fools. Paul is writing to immature believers. Paul is writing to a church whose imaginations have been captured by these false teachers who've come in and said, look at us, look at how tall we are, look at how strong we are, look at how beautiful we are, see how eloquent we are, just, just listen to the words flow off of our lips. We're amazing, you should follow us. And he's like, you guys are crazy enough to believe that garbage. So he, he goes on this mission to basically do all this comparison, do all this bragging. He enters into it. He says, this is, this is stupid, but you want to brag? I, I, I can brag with those guys. And he, he starts with some superficial stuff, the, the kinds of things that they're into, like, like you know, speaking ability or like even ethnicity and race and stuff. He talks about being a Hebrew of Hebrews. Are they a Hebrew? Well, yeah, I'm even, I'm even more one of those. These sorts of kind of ridiculous things. And then he starts moving into areas of boasting and bragging that he still doesn't want to boast about, but there are areas where the false teachers can't boast. And he begins to boast about his suffering and how just like Jesus suffered in order that the church might be built, Paul had been suffering. He'd been enduring beatings. He'd been suffering in a thousand different ways, in ways that the false teachers didn't because they weren't in it for that. They were in it for power. They were in it for appearances. They were in it to be propped up. They didn't want anything that would bring them low. 
he started boasting about his weakness. He did that earlier. He's going to come back to that theme at the end. But, but kind of in this next section that we're looking at, he says, okay, this is, this is crazy, but I'm going to go on to visions and revelations. And he starts talking about some of the supernatural ways that God was working in his life that were basically unique. That, you know, there's, there's like a handful of people in all of Scripture that God like visibly appears appears to them and, and reveals things to them. And in the ways that he's doing it with Paul, there might not be anybody else in Scripture that we see that, that could put together, anyone other than Jesus, that, that could put together a resume like Paul has put together. And again, he's just showing them, you know, I'm, I'm, God's working through me. You, you want spiritual power, I got it. But then he's going to tell them, even that is garbage. It's not what I'm pointing anyone to. So again, Look at verse 1. Paul writes, I must go on boasting. Although there's nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. And then he goes on and he's basically speaking about himself in the third person. And he says, here's the deal, guys. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Um, by which we just mean like heaven. Okay, like they used heaven in a variety of different ways. So like the sky is the first heaven. I don't know. Maybe the second heaven's the stars. I, I don't remember. Uh, third heaven is what we think of as heaven. So he's like, he's talking about himself in, a, in the third person because it's like embarrassing, you know, how he's putting himself up there. But he's like, I know a man. I, I know a guy. A guy in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't, I don't know, but God knows. He was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, 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 things man is not permitted to tell. Paul says, I will boast about a man like that, but I'm not going to boast about myself except in my weakness. Again, Paul had this most amazing resume of anybody but Jesus. He had suffered like Jesus. He'd, he'd planted dozens of churches. He'd led hundreds, perhaps thousands of people to Christ. He wrote half of the New Testament. He saw these visions that, that were so vivid that, that after this vision is over, he's like, okay, I don't know. Was, was that a vision? Like, like did God, God just kind of like knock me out and take over my brain and show me stuff? Or did God like physically take my body up into heaven? I don't even know what happened there. That was amazing. That was crazy. P.S. I'm not allowed to talk to you guys about it, but, but that's, that's what happened. This is his resume, and yet he's got all of that stuff, all of these reasons to boast and to brag, but he writes, I will not boast about myself except of my weakness. He completely rejects his resume. Then he says, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I say or do. He says, you guys, you guys know my resume. You guys know my ministry. I don't need to boast or brag to you guys. You guys know the score. But I don't want any of you guys looking at me anyway. I want you looking at Jesus. So he rejects his resume. He only wants to boast about his weakness because he understands 
that his weakness and his helplessness is ultimately a gift from God. Verse 7. Paul writes, To keep me from becoming conceited, because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. In this passage, we see God's humbling gift of helplessness. And I call it a gift, but it's the kind of gift that no one would ever ask for. It's like when you're like 10 years old and it's, it's Christmas morning and you open up this present and you're all excited and you find out that grandma gave you underwear. You know, and you're like, it's just awkward and you want nothing to do with it. And, and you're, you're like, mom, make her take them back. You know, it, it's, it's not a gift that you want at all. And yet it's the gift that you have. That's where, where Paul was at with this. He's, he's been given this gift of suffering, but Paul is begging God. He's pleading with God. He's imploring God, please take away this gift. I don't want it. What is the gift? Again, look at verse 7. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. This, this thorn in the flesh. Theologians have been debating for like 2,000 years, what's the thorn in the flesh? Maybe it's like some sort of physical ailment, disability, pain. Um, some people point out, hey, we see elsewhere in Scripture, like Paul had terrible eyesight. Like he's always like thanking the guy who's actually writing down the scripture that he's dictating because his eyesight's terrible and he gets to the end of the letter and in one of them he's like, see with what big letters I write, you know, because he's blind basically, you know, like he can't see very well. It's kind of like, it's kind of like um, Little Red Riding Hood, you know, and the wolf, like see what big, big teeth I have. But so, so there's all this like speculation and drawing conclusions. What is it? Is it an eye condition? Is it, is it something else? We have no idea. What we know is that this disability, this pain, this suffering, that it was God's gracious gift to Paul. And it was a gift of grace because it's what God used to keep Paul humble. And some of us, like in our pragmatism, we're tempted to ask, well, wouldn't, wouldn't Paul have accomplished more if he was strong? Like, wouldn't, wouldn't Paul accomplish more if he was whole? You're, t- you're telling me, like, Paul had terrible eyesight? Like he's, like, he's, like, preaching to people, and he can't really see his audience, and, you know, when they're falling asleep, he doesn't know it, so he just keeps on going on? Like, like wouldn't he be more effective? You know, if he didn't have these disabilities, that's, like, an, a, a very American way to think about the world. Couldn't he have accomplished more if he, if he was complete, if he was whole, if he was strong? And perhaps he could have accomplished more for his own glory. But what we see again and again in Scripture is that the gospel advances through weakness. The gospel doesn't advance through strong, impressive people. You put a bunch of strong, impressive people on stage and everyone wants to look and say, Oh, wow, that guy, that girl, super impressive. You put a bunch of weak, incompetent fools on stage. Welcome to Mosaic Church. And either God works for his glory or nothing happens. Because I promise you, the, the, the church is not going to advance on the, the genius and ingenuity and creativity of the pastors of Mosaic Church. The gospel advances through humble, broken people. 
who have learned to depend on Jesus and who have learned to love like Jesus because they have found that they can't help but loving the God who has been so gracious to them. And it just overflows into their life. That's how the gospel advances. It does not advance through impressive people. Very rarely does God choose to use anybody who's impressive. And if he does... First, he breaks them and he humbles them. And they still might look impressive to somebody out in the world. But in their hearts and in their homes and in their families and in their church, everybody knows this guy is not the man. This woman is not some celebrity. No, they are, they are the people who have been humbled by the good news of God's grace. They've been broken at the cross in order that God might use them for his glory. And yet, it's super hard. The gospel advances through weakness, but none of us want to be weak. It's hard to feel weak. It's even harder to be weak. You know, when, when a little bit of inconvenience, when a little bit of weakness creeps into our lives, we kind of freak out, you know? It, it, it ruins us, you know? Think, think about the last time you sprained your ankle. Okay? It's miserable. You, you, you hate it. It's, it's so hard. Think about the last time you were sick. You know, not like, I, I got, I'm not sure if it's allergies or I'm not sure if it's something else, but, but the last time you had a fever and you had no strength and you like lie on your back all day and you finally get up to like go to the bathroom or something, you're like, oh, I feel better than I thought. And then you take about three more steps like, no, I'm tired. I need to go lie down again. Nobody likes that. Some of you guys, you you, you understand what I'm saying, you know, as you begin to get older and you just get up from the sofa and it's like a perfectly good day, but you're like, that's harder than it's supposed to be. It's humiliating. It's demoralizing. It's depressing. None of us want to be weak. And yet the gospel advances through our weakness. But none of us want it. And that's why Paul, he goes to God and he's begging God, take this gift back, return it to Walmart. I don't want it. I just want the cash. Like, Grandma, put, don't buy me gifts anymore. Just, just put cash in an envelope and I'll figure it out. That's how Paul felt about this gift of weakness. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me. But what did God say? Verse 9, but, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace, meaning my good gifts. God's provision for us. The ways that God chooses to provide for us by his grace. Not what we ask for, not what we want. What we need as he has determined what we need. That is his grace towards us. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is all that you need. What I provide for you is all that you need. Because my power is made perfect in weakness. His power is made perfect in our weakness, meaning His power is on full display. His power is most fully present. His power is most fully available to us when what? When we embrace just how weak and helpless we are. Cultural Christianity, Hallmark Cards, They will tell you 
God helps those who help themselves. So pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and pray that God puts a little sticker of blessing on it. That is not a Christian message. The Bible says that God helps the helpless. And God works most greatly through those who, who most fully embrace their weakness who get over themselves, who aren't trying to impress anyone, who even in their own eyes are not doing this constant battle of like, am I good enough? Am I strong enough? Am I humble enough? Am I embracing my weakness enough so that God will really move in power through me? It's not some ridiculous contest. Again, it's just this posture of moving past ourselves and setting our hope on God, setting our eyes on God, trusting in Him. And yet it's hard, and the way that God usually accomplishes that in our lives is by allowing us to suffer. You know, you're really impressed with your physical ability, maybe God will take away some of your physical ability. You're really impressed with your intellect, you know, maybe, you know, some of you U of M crowd, God's going to let you get an A- minus or something, you know? Just, just, to, just to bring you down a, a, a quarter of a step. God humbles us in order that he might use us. He humbles us in order that we might look to him. The Bible says that God helps the helpless. He gives strength to the weak. He he lifts up the lowly. He exalts the humble. So how do we handle our helplessness? We, We embrace this reality that we serve a good God who gives us exactly what we need. When he gives us hard circumstances, when he gives us humbling circumstances, when when he puts us in a position that we feel helpless, if you're like me, you're going to go down kicking and screaming and complaining and, you know, making the first day of that helpless miserable for the whole household because, because you hate it so much. And yet he works in us through his word, through His Spirit, through the community of the saints, that's you guys, to teach us that that His humbling is a good thing and the pain He allows into our lives is a good thing. And it is the gracious gift that He's provided. Whatever He brings into our life, He brings it for our good and for His glory. He, He doesn't give us more than, He gives us a lot more than we can handle in our own strength, but He doesn't give us more than we can handle in His strength. And he wants us to stop relying on ourselves and just kind of tap out and say, I'm going to be dependent on you. Um, there's a quote from Alistair Begg. I, I knew the quote, and I was, I was, I was trying to find who said it. And there, it's like attributed to like a thousand people because it's like a, a good idea and everyone's stealing it. But I think it was Alistair Begg that said it first. He said, if dependence upon God is the objective, then weakness is an advantage. If dependence upon God is the objective, then weakness is an advantage. Strong man is not good at walking in dependence. The weak man, he's got no choice. If if weakness, if dependence is the goal, then weakness is an advantage. If I want to learn to rely on God and be led by God and walk in step with the Spirit of God all to the glory of God, then anything that breaks my, my wicked tendency towards self-worship and self-centeredness and self-reliance is ultimately God's grace to me. 
as painful as it may feel in that moment because it draws me nearer to Jesus. Paul continues, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. He's been talking about all the stupid trash talk things that the world is into. And then he clears the table of all those things and he says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God is not in the business of working through impressive people. God is not in the business of working through clever people. God is not in the business of working through strong people. God is in the business of working for His glory through weak, helpless, lowly people who have learned to rely on His grace and on His strength and on His goodness. And that has incredible implications for, for both our personal lives and, and for our ministry. Do you feel helpless? Understand that, that in that moment of helplessness, when you really feel it, when you really embrace it, when it's undeniable, Paul says that, it, that is the moment in which Christ's power rests on you most perfectly. Power for what? Power to deal with whatever's making you feel so helpless and discouraged. You know, maybe it's the power of God towards self-control. That you can say no to whatever that temptation is that's, that's just kind of eating you alive. Maybe, it, maybe it's power to get back on your feet and give it a go again. Maybe God has humbled you and brought you low, not just so that his power can rest on you, but so that, so that his vision of the world could rest on you. Maybe he's brought you low and helped you to see your neediness so that you can be his conduit to bring his blessing to those around you who are most needy, who are most helpless, who are most hopeless. Amen? God's grace to us. This also means that, that our weakness and our inability, our lack of gifting, it's never an excuse to deny God's call in our lives. You know, I was talking earlier about like this opportunity that we have to invite our friends and neighbors and our classmates and coworkers into the church um, to love other people toward Jesus. And I just want to acknowledge that's going to work out differently in different people's lives, introverts, extroverts, you know, um, preachers, non-preachers, whatever. And yet this is a calling that God has placed on all of our lives to love our neighbors and, and, and our friends and family and our classmates and coworkers and perfect strangers into the kingdom of God. Amen? Like this is universal. This isn't, this isn't something that's just for the preachers or just for a select few. This is for all of us. We've all been called by God and empowered by God to love the outside world back toward Him. Amen? 
So what we see in this is that your weakness and your inability and your lack of skill is never an excuse to deny that calling. Yes, it's going to work out differently in different people's lives, but, but there's no category we can say, man, I'm, I'm an introvert, like, like somebody else does the people stuff. You know, or, um, you know, I, I don't have very good people skills, or, you know, I, I don't know the Bible very well, or I'm socially awkward, or um, I, I just have a fear of rejection, and, and any little moment that puts me out there where I might feel rejected, that's, that's too hard for me. Those aren't categories. Those might be the things that make you feel weak. Those might be the things that make you feel helpless. Those might be the things that, that make you feel unable to answer the call of God in your lives. And that's what Satan wants to say. Like, like Paul had this thorn in the flesh. He refers to it as, as a messenger of Satan. And that's what Satan would say about your inability. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you got nothing. You're, you're completely incapable. Forget about it. Roll up in a ball, suck your thumb, you know, watch some Netflix. But what is God's message through your inability? He's like, yeah, you, you can't do this on your own. And, and that's why I've come. That's why I've sent my spirit to empower you. That's why I've given my word to comfort you. That's why I've surrounded you with a body of believers who are just as weak and pathetic as you are. So that you can commiserate in that. So you can encourage each other in that. So that you can lift each other's eyes back toward the goodness and the strength of your God. Amen? In my experience, God is more likely to move for his glory through some of you who feel completely incapable of accomplishing anything for his glory than he is through some seminary-trained preacher. God isn't in the business of propping up people with credentials. He's not in the business of propping up anybody for their own glory. He's, he's looking for the weak. He's looking for the helpless. He's looking for the lowly who will simply look to him and who will trust in him and will say, God, I'm available. What do you want to do with me today? Amen? What do we do with our weakness? What do we do with our helplessness? We entrust it to God and ask him to use it for his glory and for our good, and for the good of every man, woman, and child in the community in which he's placed us. Amen? Let's pray. God, I know that we are going to feel helpless this week, and that our helplessness is going to be discouraging. God, I pray that this week would be a little bit different in that regard. Lord, I pray that when we feel helpless, when we feel weak, God, I pray that it would be a reminder of your grace. I pray that we would believe in our heart of hearts that our weakness is your grace to us. Lord, I pray that it would cause us to walk more closely with you. Oh, and God, I pray that it would help us to be the kind of weak and lowly and humble people who just empathize with those who are broken and hurting in this world. I pray that the ways that you allow us to be brought low would be the means through which we lift up the lowly and love them toward you. Amen.